Welcome to the Real Estate Raw Show, hosted by Joe Mendoza. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm super excited to have the next guest on our show, John Prater. So he was a former past client of mine, personally one-on-one, and we were coaching week to week. And it's exciting to see where people are in their present day, which is you're about to see. He's gone on to do bigger and better things. He's systematized his business, serious major ROI on his investments. So ladies and gentlemen, take a lot of great notes. He just shares like none other. Mr. John Prater is next on our show. Guys, if you like what you're hearing, smash that subscribe button, share with a friend, like us on Facebook, wherever we're at. Thank you so much for being a fan of our show. Guys, I am super excited to have, have Mr. John Prater on the show. I used to coach him a while back. Super, super incredible story. He's a pole vaulter. I was a pole vaulter. I didn't coach him on pole vaulting. <laughs> so he jumped a lot higher than I did. So ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Prater, how are you? I'm doing good, Joe. And uh, yeah, I'm here in Austin, Texas right now. Uh, I'm looking forward to this, this podcast. So thanks for having me on. Outstanding. Likewise, likewise. So a little bit about his background, guys. Check this out. So he made $900,000 net profit while selling vacant land parcels in Arizona in 2021 while traveling the entire time working 30 to 60, 60 minutes a day because, guys, he was training for, guess what, the Olympics. So I love to hear a lot more about what's going on in your life. Let's take us back a little bit before all your fun traveling and, and buying all these parcels in land. Tell us a little bit about John. Sure. Um, I mean, I guess we can kind of go back to the beginning of my you know, real estate journey, my real estate career. Uh, I don't know if many people know much about track and field, but track and field, it's a, it's a sport that's not like NBA, NFL, NHL, all kind of the, the bigger leagues where everybody's making a lot of money in the pole vault and track and field. It's, it's really just a passion sport. And so a lot of us are out there, you know, it's, it's kind of like an, you know, an amateur sport, so to speak. Um, so as we're training for like the Olympic trials, as we're training for world championships or training for national meets, you know, all of us have to have our own jobs and support ourselves. And we do that through a variety of different things. So some people go and get jobs as waiters, valets. Um, some people stay in school, use student loans. Um, some people have family sponsorships or so on and so forth, a bunch of different things. Um, my route, I realized, you know, I wanted some type of transition period after I was done with uh, track and field. And I was really interested in real estate. My family was in real estate. And so I ended up going to work at this, you know, a real estate investment fund at the same time that I was training. And I found myself in a really fortunate situation um, that some gentlemen basically allowed me to train in the mornings from, you know, I lived in Scottsdale, Arizona from about 7 a.m. until about 12 to 1 p.m. every single day. And then I was able to go into the office from four to 6 p.m. in the afternoons. And that's when I was about 24, 25 years old. And, you know, learn a ton, do a lot of different deals and just get really, you know, cut my teeth, so to speak, in, in the world of real estate investing um, on a really big scale. And, you know, obviously they had a huge support system. And so I, I was really fortunate that I was able to be a part of that. Um, after I was there for about two or three years, I realized, hey, you know, this could go into something really good and really cool um, and be a really, really great career. But I also had this uh, kind of this internal desire 
to be my own boss and be able to control my life and not have to uh, be beholden to somebody else, so to speak, of if I want to go on vacation, I should be able to just go on vacation. I don't have to ask, you know, or, or if, if I want to make more money, I shouldn't have to say, hey, guys, you know, here's this cool deal over here and everybody else gets a piece too. Obviously, it's fair because, you know, they took a lot of risks to start the company and so on and so forth. But I realized if I wanted to be in their position, I couldn't be the employee at the fund. And so I had to kind of jump ship and uh, do what they did for myself and give myself that opportunity. Uh, and so I was an insatiable reader. I read every book I could get my hand on, you name it. I mean, if I look at your bookshelf back there, I probably read 15, 20 of those books on there. I mean, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was the, the original, call it the original book that I read in real estate investing. Um, and then the, you know, the, the amount of knowledge that you gain after you continue down the road after five, six, seven years, it just continues to compound. Um, but anyways, you know, I, 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 I tell this to a lot of people that are kind of in a interested in real estate investing, you know, they're all at different phases of it and they're all reading and they're listening to podcasts they listen to YouTube videos. And the, the one thing that they're not doing is they're not jumping. And, and for me, uh, there was a, a feeling of, there was fear, right? There, fear is a big thing that holds people back. And I realized, you know, I was interested in like flipping houses or wholesaling. And I realized all of those had so much time involved. And since I was also training for uh, pole vault and trying to, you know, go to the Olympic trials again and a bunch of other stuff, time was very critical. And at the same time, I didn't have a ton of money. And so the thought of going and flipping a house and, you know, getting a hard money lender to give me $200,000 at 12% interest and like all these different variables, it really kind of made me stop and freeze and say, shit, I don't know what exactly what I'm doing. And I'm a little scared right now. And so I just, you know, analysis paralysis. And so one fortunate thing was when I was at the investment fund, I realized all these brokers, as I was negotiating deals with people off market, people would literally sit there and say, hey, I, I want someone in my corner that's going to make sure I'm doing everything correct. And I noticed a lot of the brokers were making really a, a lot of money, not doing nearly as much work as I was doing. And when I saw that, I was like, hey, that's kind of interesting. Maybe I should get my real estate license and maybe that'll you know improve my, my knowledge and my education and my, more experience. And so... That's actually how you and I met uh, through the coaching program, and you know we we went through everything. And I think I was a little bit different because at that point I I was very interested in land as well, just because that's everything that I had known. And yeah, one thing turned into another, and I started just listing people's raw land. And I found as a listing agent, I could list 70, 80, 90, a hundred raw land properties because as long as I had Google maps and a bunch of other software for my computer, I could be anywhere, you know, if I was at a meet or training, as long as I had my phone, my computer and an internet connection, I could be connected to the MLS and to buyers and to other agents. Um, and so through that avenue, I realized, wow, you know, being a listing agent and selling land is going to allow me to basically have a ton of these assets that are online where all these people that are interested in buying real estate are going to be going to, they're going to Zillow, they're going to realtor.com and so on and so forth, all those different types of sites. Um, and then after I did brokerage for about a year and maybe three months, I, I just kept reviewing what my goals were. And I had written down when I was 24, all these different types of goals that I had. And I kept realizing the control factor of you do a bunch of work in brokerage and then somebody might you know send the deal upside down because they're back, they back out from buying or the seller doesn't like the offer because they want a couple thousand dollars more. And you realize like, I just spent four hours, six hours, one deal that we did, I spent six months on it. And 
purchase contract signed on one end and all of a sudden the deal's blown. So I realized, you know, time being so important and kind of the most valuable thing that you have, I needed to be in kind of full control. And the only way you could do that is really the investment world. Uh, or at least that's what my opinion became. And I had this crazy opportunity where one of my clients, who I was listing is three of his properties. Uh, he literally said, Hey, John, uh, somebody offered to buy these from me at a certain dollar amount. And I knew that that was about 40 cents on the dollar to what we had it listed at. And he was, he was emotionally detached from these properties because they're all raw vacant land. He hadn't been to them in over 20 years and he just didn't care. And he, he said, if you want to buy them, I'd love to just sell it to you. And so I said, okay, I'll give you 5% more than what that guy offered. I bought them. Uh, you know, it took us seven days to close. And then I did the exact same thing as that I did with listing. I did all the, the marketing packages. I put it back onto the MLS and then literally we sold it. By, and, and I'll just like start this off. What I think is really interesting about the raw land area or the, the kind of the raw land asset class is that I'm not talking about properties in the very beginning, at least that were, you know, 50,000, 70,000, 80,000, hundred thousand. I bought these properties for $750 a lot. So you're talking about about $2,100 of investment. And I turned around, I put those properties back on the market for $9,000 because that's what we had originally listed them at. About seven days went by and somebody came and we had already had that property, those properties listed for about nine months. I don't know what changed in the time that I took that listing off and put the new one up. But anyways, I went from taking that $2,000 and turning it into 9,000. There was closing costs in between a bunch of other stuff. So the net ended up being whatever, or the gross was proceeds was 7,500, something like that. But all of a sudden I sat there and I thought to myself, whoa, that was way better than brokering because I made more money in this little raw land space. And simultaneously, I was able to accept the offer and not have to talk to anybody else at the same time. And it was all on my computer. Um, and so from that aspect, I had realized, whoa, if I could get more of these leads or if I can offer this to my other clients who I'm brokering their properties, it could be kind of what OfferPad, Door, and all these other iBuyers do just in the land markets. Uh, so from that, I literally just, all the other raw land listings I had, which at the time was probably like 60 or 70, I offered that service to them. Some people jumped at it. Um, some people said, no, let's just keep listing it. And then a couple of months later, they said, screw it. Let's just sell these things. We don't want to, we don't want to deal with them anymore. And then I started sending out more direct mailers to people with, you know, with my listing information and also offering that service again, like, Hey, we'll buy it at a certain price. You just call us if you don't want to take advantage, but now it'll be around for the next 60 days, 90 days, whatever. Um, so that was 2020 and 2020, basically through that process, there were people that would come and they just say, Hey, I've got eight lots in Arizona. I don't want to deal with them. We're trying to clean up our estate or, you know, we're about, you know, my grandfather or my mother, or my anybody, they just don't want them. And my kids don't want them. My heirs don't want them. So we just want to be done with them. What will you give us? And in many cases, they weren't emotionally attached to them at all. And, you know, there were some properties that I knew were worth 20 or 30,000. And I would tell them that as a broker, as a fiduciary. Um, and they would just say, we don't care. Just, you know, if you can give us 10,000 bucks by next Friday, let's close the deal. Um, so in the first year I took about, I bought about 30 properties and sold them all and made probably right around a hundred thousand. And that's when I realized if I can just get way more properties and systematize this, it could probably be like a really, really valid business. Um, because the time component, it, there's not much time involved. It's really all about finding more deals and finding more leads. And so from that Avenue, I just kind of, you know, turned my brain on saying like, how can I get more deals? How can I just find more land, more properties in different areas in all, but in Arizona. Uh, 
And that kind of just led me down this path of I had found out, I had read in actually Rich Dad, Poor Dad, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, there's a whole section on tax liens. And so tax liens, you know, somebody doesn't pay their back taxes, uh, it goes to the county treasurer, and then you can personally buy the back taxes. And after a certain statutory period of time, you can then foreclose on the properties and take title to them. So you're basically taking a debt instrument and turning it into an equity instrument and you have full control over what, what happens with it. And what was really interesting, what I realized, what I realized today after I did a bunch of research and kept looking into all the information uh, on raw land and just real estate markets in Arizona for the last 15 years, all the way through back to the 2009 crash, the 2006 peak, I realized that uh, there was a ton of tax liens on land because nobody really understands land as an asset class or the majority of brokers, I should say, don't understand it because it's a, it requires specialized knowledge, understanding of zoning, utilities, develop, development ability, um, working with counties and, and a whole lot of red tape and just legalities that you know most people look at a piece of dirt and they're like, oh, it's land, but there's so much more than that underneath the surface. And since I was in the land market, I understood you know, at, at the time enough really to be called dangerous or something like that, you know, just to be able to operate in that space um, I realized there was a ton of back taxes on all these land. And not only that, most of the owners had just completely walked away. They hadn't paid taxes in eight, nine, 10 years. And so I called a couple of different attorneys and I understood the process a little bit more. And then I said, okay, this is an incredible lead source. This is like a, there's no negotiating. There's nobody to talk to. You literally go on county websites or you call the county treasurer, they send you a list. And after you have the list, as long as you understand, you know, you have a title abstractor that's checking to make sure there's no superior liens and a bunch of other th stuff. Um, through that process, I was able to foreclose on about 600 properties. And I think a lot of people look at foreclosures as like you're kicking somebody out of a house. Morally and ethically, I don't find that I don't think I could do that. That's why everything I do is all land. And the vast case majority, actually, everybody has, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to sound like negative or dark, but the vast majority of people that have, have stopped paying taxes have actually passed away on, on land. And it was something that their estate was maybe so small that they didn't want to do probate in Arizona because the property was worth five, 10, 15, $20,000. They'd call a realtor and the realtor says, I don't want to make $750. I can sell a house and make 4,000. Uh, so through that process, I just was able to amass a ton of properties. And it wasn't all just a bulk buy at one time, but the ability to you know, it all coincided with COVID happening. And so that took all the markets just to the moon in all seriousness. And so the compounding of that original $2,000 investment just kept turning over. And then I obviously from reading a bunch of different books, learned how to borrow money, you know, from individuals at 6% interest, 8% interest, 12% interest. I learned how to raise money from other individuals saying, hey, if you give me $25,000 in equity, we're going to buy these 45 lots you're going to get 50% of the profits. I'm going to manage everything, 50% of the profits. Um, and then on top of that, I, I built a team around it. So, you know, using freelancers in India and Pakistan that are doing title abstraction, putting marketing packages together, putting all of the different foreclosure packets together so we can make it really easy for the attorneys just to like go through and do the filing systems. Um, one of the big things in the very beginning, obviously being a broker, I always wanted to sell my properties. I, I said, nobody knows my properties as good as me. Nobody can sell as good as me. That was the biggest fallacy I've ever had in my mind. Um, that was the biggest thing that unlocked a massive amount of time, even more time for me, 
because in 2020, when I was doing everything, I was you know constantly on the phone. People were calling about the land. They wanted to know what the utility situation was, the buildability, all this different stuff. Um, and that kept me so tied up and that got me away from what my goals were, which my goals were separate time and money, make them two separate things so that your time, uh, your money is not dependent upon how many hours you're working in a day. And so I just began delegating everything off as possible. Obviously, as, as most people that probably listen to this podcast and real estate, it's really nice that a lot of people are paid, uh, called pay to play, or you know they, they get paid when something is accomplished. So the attorneys don't get paid until we get the foreclosure deed. The broker doesn't get paid until you sell the property. The title companies don't get paid until the properties closes. So it creates a situation in this business model that you have no overhead other than you know your own time. So as long as you can float your own time, and you were able to get these deals and source these deals, um, everybody is incentivized to push the deal forward, find the buyers, close the deals, and, and just keep going down. Um, and then it just kind of turned into this snowballing effect of you know, $2,000 turned into just kept going over and over and over, putting the money back in the business over and over and over and over again, flipping more properties over and over and over again. Um, and it became very systemized to the point where you know I just in the mornings, I would wake up, I'd do my little morning routine, I'd get on my, my email, and this is all in 2021, get on my email, and there I already have all the, uh, because I was traveling, I'd be in different time zones, I would have you know emails from the previous day from the title company, from the broker to accept offers, what offers we got, what day's closings are, and then because of COVID, they had mobile notary systems that you could do everything online on a Zoom call instead of having to be you know in person, going to the UPS store, getting stuff notarized. So just created a complete online land business that didn't require a location to be at. So once again, if I had my computer, my laptop and a cell phone or an internet connection, I was able to completely manage everything and keep the process going. Um, so kind of coming full circle, that's what it turned into this just, and, and I'm only in about three counties in Arizona. And there's about, I don't remember the exact amount of states, but about 25 states do tax liens. And in my due diligence process, I realized almost every single county, there's not a lot of guys doing land because once again, people aren't, they don't really know about it. And the interesting thing is, I'll just give you like a snapshot of like a typical deal. This isn't like massive amounts of money. We're talking, you can buy back taxes on a property for maybe $1,500, $1,000. In Arizona, at least, it'll cost you about right around on average three thousand to foreclose. So you're into a property for let's say four thousand forty five hundred, and that property could be worth fifteen or twenty thousand. So you put that on the market with your broker; he's making six percent. Maybe he's got a fee to make sure that he's you know he's able to compensate himself for the time. But when it all comes said and done, your average returns are anywhere between two x and three x in situations like that, and that's pretty much a constant that I found. You know. The highest returns on investments I, I was able to get, some were four thousand percent. You're taking three hundred and seventy dollars and turning it into twenty thousand in under six months or three months. Um, and so, yeah, it's a really interesting space that I think people that they don't have a lot of capital. There's they're interested in real estate investing. They're interested in being able to be their own boss. They're interested in being able to travel a lot and not be tied down to a certain location. Um, and you know, they 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 want more experience. I, I think this area is. It allows for a lot of, um, it just allows for a lot of growth as an individual to be able to start doing it yourself at not a very high level. I shouldn't even say high level, but it's just at a different level and a different strategy. Um, so that's kind of coming full circle. That's a mouthful. You know, I probably just talked for 20 minutes straight, but 
I, I let it go, John, on purpose. I mean, because mm -hmm. that was interesting how you just walked us through from A to Z, all the in-betweens. And so let's unpack it just a little for the audience because yep. there, there was a mouthful there and I liked it. I mean, you really just went linear with us and I loved it. So somebody who has a nine to five job, which most right. people out there do and they're listening to this podcast you've got the background some of them don't in the audience what would you say what would you recommend maybe the two or three books first to get the education and then yeah. i'll ask a few more things after that so sure. what would be the first two or three books they should read so that's that's a good that's a really good question because in the tax lien space there's not really a book that you can read about the process of tax lien foreclosures and the reason is, is because every state is different. Everybody has different laws. Everybody has, you know, different processes. If you go to Florida and you're in Arizona, they're completely different, but you, they're still both tax lien states. Um, I think most people need to get their mindset right about, you know, what their goals are, what they want. And so, you know, the biggest book for me to be able to separate the idea of time and money was, you know, I think some people think that the title's cheesy, but I don't know if you've ever heard of MJ DeMarco's Fastlane Millionaire. That to me was the most eye-opening book I've ever read. Um, from a business perspective, I think a lot of employees, and I, I even made this mistake, I was a very confident employee and I knew I could get what I was doing my job done. But once I started my own business, I wanted to wear every hat. I wanted to wear the sales hat, the marketing hat, the, the, you know, the, the broker hat, the acquisition hat, the disposition hat. And I realized you know, that just exhausted me because I was doing all the work. Um, so E-Myth, I think is a really, really good book. Just the standard one. You don't need to go and get like the specific ones on what, whatever your industry is. Um, I'm trying to think like, I think good resources for learning just specifically about tax liens in whatever state you are interested in is really just connecting with the actual players in the arena. So for example, the foreclosure attorneys, like just talking to them, they're going to be able to walk you through the entire process uh, because they've done it thousands and thousands and thousands of times. There's not, once again, like I said, a book that you could just pick up and it just walks you through everything because it goes back to understanding real estate in its entirety as well, right? You might look at a house and be like, wow, that house is in perfect condition. But at the county recorder, you've got 15 different encumbrances all on it. Uh, you got easements, you got liens, you've got judgments, you've got all these different types of title problems. And so that's one of the biggest things that you have to really understand. And so that's where, you know, knowing title company people or going through transactions or being able to talk to those types of people, or even going on Upwork and hiring consultants to be able to walk you through those different types of scenarios. So, so um, hang on a second. I'm glad you yeah. said that. So you, you've got two or three books you mentioned. I want to definitely hit that up. Um, so somebody has a nine to five job out there. Yep. And you mentioned that earlier, too, about uh, a couple of different countries. I myself have VAs in multiple countries right now. Which would be like the first one, two or three VAs and their mm -hmm. specialties you would hire? OK, yeah, that's actually good. Um, I would say if like someone's got a business at first, the first VA you want to hire in this arena is going to be your title abstractor. Because that person is going to be able to tell you, especially in a taxing foreclosure situation, he's going to be able to tell you all of the negative remarks on that title. And some of those, then you can correlate that with your attorney and say, hey, can we wipe these out in a foreclosure suit? Some, he, some you can, some you can't. If 
you're just flipping properties you know, like in, in an off-market marketing scenario, then you really just need to have a title company baked into all your different pro formas and all of your numbers, because then they're going to handle the title abstraction. They're going to walk you through if something's going to be an issue or not. So from a VA standpoint, definitely a title abstractor. Beautiful. Anybody else? I mean, from a business perspective, if you're like really committed to doing this stuff, make sure you hire your CPA and your bookkeeper. Don't do your books. It doesn't matter how many transactions you do. Make sure someone else is doing that because that's just a piece of the system. And you want to build your system, build your machine so that you can just, it gets to a point where you, it's, if you can feed deals into it, it, they just take it and it goes and it goes and it goes. Um, so I would say, you know, your CPA, your bookkeeper, your title abstractor, those are your first three really, really important uh, pieces. But I think a lot of people, you know, from a lot of friends that I have that are in the real estate industry, but they're maybe in sales or they're in software and they, you know, they're, they're sick of their boss and they're sick of having two weeks of vacation time. You know, they, they need to immerse themselves in just understanding real estate as an asset class first before even going into a bunch of other you know things. Cause I'll tell you what, I, I do see people in the tax lien world uh, buying tax liens because of what they read in maybe some books that I don't want to say are misleading, but are just touching the surface of, of what it is. And they get themselves in situations that not that they have too much risk, but they find themselves in a situation where they don't know what to do next, right? So in the absence of results, what's your process? So people need to learn the fundamental process of real estate, especially in the beginning. Love it, John. <laughs> great, great information. Now, I like systems, softwares yeah. and apps. What may be your favorites if you're going to go ahead and pursue this type of business? Honestly, Google, like the Google suite, <laughs> Gmail. I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's all based off of pro formas, right? So everything's on Google Sheets and then using Google Sheets to be able to correspond with your team that could be all over the world. Um, Google softwares are a must in this business. Um, the other softwares, I mean, there's a ton of different real estate due diligence tools online. I've seen guys in this industry just use Zillow, realtor.com, um, just like, you know, acre value, a bunch of just freely available resources online. And then obviously you've got all the county websites that are independent. County people are always very, very friendly and very nice, always willing to answer questions. So a lot of the software is, is actually free. Like for example, the, this business model that I built everything off of, it was built off of not having a lot of money to start. And how do we grow this really organically just off of compounded profits? And so, you know, a lot of people, I think they get tied up in like, oh, what's going to be the software that's just going to do everything for me. The reality is all of the software that I use, it's all freely available you don't have to pay subscriptions. And so that makes it, once again, an even better cash flow business. There's not a lot of expenses tied up into this kind of scenario as well. Awesome, awesome. I appreciate the answer. Now, I, I am coaching somebody else in uh, Arizona who's starting to build, and I know some of the basics. So when you're looking at land, do you care for any utilities, uh, path of progress, anything like that to, or, or do you have some red flags that like, Hey, I got to stay away from this because of. Right. Yeah. I mean, from a, from our, from my process, the red flag, it always starts at, Hey, here's these 10 properties that I'm interested in buying the tax things on, or just buying off market. They immediately go to the title abstractor. He goes through everything that's going to identify any red flags that from a non-physical standpoint, 
if we should pursue or not pursue or have to dig a little bit deeper. So that's step number one. Uh, step number two, if all those come back clean, after that, it's really just assessing the value of the property. And after you get very proficient at this and you've sold so many properties in different areas, you know, you really know the market like the back of your hand, you can make decisions very quickly because you know, you know the comps, you know everything. And the reality is some pieces of raw land, you don't need utilities because that piece of raw land, for example, might only be worth five or $10,000 on the open market, but you're getting into it for $400, $500. And the person that's interested in purchasing it, they don't want to build. So there's like a whole group of people that just want to own land for the foreseeable future because it's real. It's something they can go out to, they can look at it, they can touch it, they can kick it, they can camp on it, they can park on it. And they just want to own that because they don't trust the stock market. They don't trust paper assets and a bunch of other things. Um, me personally, it's really based off of just deal by deal. I buy properties that have no utilities. I buy properties that have tons of utilities and those have different values. Um, and there's typically always a buyer. And then, you know, deeper down, another thing that's just kind of a really interesting about this whole business model is that most banks don't finance land. They got burned in 2006. They never want to touch it again. Uh, unless you have your developer and you've got the plans all set out. Um, so another subset of this business is just seller financing and, you know, offering financing to people. Not a lot of people have taken it over the last 20, or sorry, over the last in 2021, but there's still a, a big group of people that want the ability to say, Hey, I just want to pay for this on payments over five years. And once again, it can all be systematized using uh, servicing companies. And, you know, once again, you've got a loan that you're, have collateral on and um, it's passive income for the next five years. It's service and directly deposited to your account. That is so awesome, John. Uh, I had a couple other folks uh, on my show that do specialize in land and everything you're saying, it's legit. I love it. I'm super excited that you, you really made your mark here. And I'm just excited to see where you're going to scale from here because yeah. at this point it's like, you know, just finding deals, finding deals, but there's a lot, a lot of money out there, you know, just kind of parked and it's true. knowing about this asset class. So I'm really, really excited to see you scale and scale really, really big. Anything else that you want to add for the audience, any hacks, anything you're promoting, best way to get a hold of you? Yeah. I mean, I'm not really promoting anything. I, I think the biggest thing for me is realizing like, because I've had a lot of you know, time freedom. I've been traveling for like the last year and a half. Um, I've been involving myself in a lot of people, being able to be really immersed into a lot of different experiences and meeting a lot of new people. And it seems like a lot of people are all in the similar situation, right? COVID was a big wake up call. Of like, why am I working? Why am I not living? Why am I not experiencing? Why am I not traveling? And so for me, really the, the best part of all this is being able to share the information and letting people become aware of this kind of opportunity because most people don't even know things like this exist. Um, but what I will say is that, you know, people that are really interested in doing something for themselves, building a business, investing in real estate, there comes a time, you know, I studied for six years before I finally bought my first property. Six years was too long. I mean, it was, it was right on time for me, but what I will say is that I, I think most people just need to get to a point where they say, I just need to go do something. And I think in this kind of asset class and this investment strategy, you can take a thousand dollars and be like, you know what, I'm going to invest in myself. I'm going to bet on myself and I'm going to take the jump. Um, and it's a very easy, in my opinion, it's a very kind of easy way to get your foot into the door 
amass some good capital so that you can go in and do bigger and better deals down the road. So it's a good starting place, I think, for a lot of people because they can learn a ton. Um, and there's a lot of downside protection that you can control in the very, very beginning. Love it. Love it. One last question that I definitely want to ask. You played at the highest level possible as an athlete. You're killing it in real estate. Some people, like you said, may not be killing it. They're struggling because of COVID. They're probably lost a job because of COVID. They probably lost some family because of COVID. What would you say to them to maybe snap out of it and like, let's go make it happen? Any, any yeah. words of advice on mental toughness? I can definitely say your mentality is going to be the number one predictor of your success. If you believe you can, you're probably going to do it. If you believe you can't, you're going to stay still. Um, for me, I was actually talking with one of my friends last night. He's visiting me right now. And we had a, a friend from high school who passed away very young, about 25 years old. And we visited him at the hospital and we saw him there laying there. He was in a car accident. He became went into a coma. And that for me was all of a sudden I realized every single day is valuable. Every single moment is valuable. Time is the most valuable thing. And that for me was my kind of aha moment of you need to bet on yourself. You need to take the jump because if you don't do it, you're going to regret it. If you do do it and you fail, you're going to learn a lot about not only yourself, but also what you're doing. And if you continue and keep going, you can't really fail. And I think I learned a lot of those mentality aspects uh, in track and field and in pole vault because there was always setbacks. There's always failures. There's always, but I, what I realized, you know, speaking about pole vault, there was always one more bar. There was the next day of practice. And so in real estate, there's always the next deal. There's always good. So it's, you can just keep moving the ball forward over and over and over again. But I think the best piece of advice that I could give to anybody um, is just, be able to register what you're feeling. People are afraid, just being able to be aware that I'm afraid, what am I afraid of? In most cases, people are afraid of losing money and they correlate losing money to failure. In some cases, maybe even they feel like losing money means they're dying. But the reality is they need to detach themselves from being so attached to the money and more attached to the outcome or what you're becoming by doing these things. And if you're becoming the investor, the capitalist, the, you know, the, 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 your own boss, being free, being a traveler, that's going to be much more valuable than the money. But the money is probably going to follow it because you're making all these big strides in personal growth and development. So bet on yourself and don't have any, not, don't have any fear. Be able to be aware of your fear and assess it and then make sure you rationalize it so you can make better decisions going forward. I love it, John. Congratulations again to all your success. Super great having you on our show. Uh, best way to get a hold of you in case they want to talk to you. Uh, probably the best way would just be, I'm trying to think. I don't really go on social media at all. I, I find that to be a big distraction for me. Um, but I think if people wanted to reach out, they could probably just email me at use jprater1991 at gmail.com. And so last name, P-R-A-D-E-R, -E and then 1991 at gmail.com. Send any questions you've got there. Um, and yeah, I'd be willing to help and assist people in kind of their journey going forward. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. We wish you well, John. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Wow. 
I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I hope you learned as much as I did or more. So guys, look at the comment thread. If you've seen something or heard something, want to learn more about something, please put it on the comment link below. If you're not a subscriber yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Go ahead and smash that bell to hear the latest and greatest on the show. Follow me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram. I'm putting this channel together to hopefully add incredible value to you. And if you wanna learn more about investing, you're new to investing, I highly recommend this book, Flex with a Plex. Also this book, if you're having some challenges, as you can see, everybody on the show had some kind of adversity, including yours truly. So I shared a lot of that on make it a comeback, giving you some incredible tips to make a comeback. So get either one, Flex with a Plex, or make it a comeback. If you wanna get more tips, go ahead and go to joemendoza.com. Again, subscribe, share, like, make a comment below. I really, really appreciate you. Wanna add incredible value and wish you all the best in your success in real estate and in life. Take care. Our company is not responsible for the success or failure of your business decisions relating to any information presented by our company or our company programs, products, and or services.